Hey, welcome to the Health Coaches Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's episode, a question. Would you like to become a wicked effective health coach to help people change their behaviors, change their habits, change their health destinies, and to be able to do it through a reliable process, one that works every time? If so, I'd invite you to check out the WellStart Health Coach Training Academy. And you can find it at wellstartcoach.com. And you can check and see when we're running our next training course. All right, let's get to today's topic. Sid Garza Hillman, welcome to the Health Coaches Podcast. I'm happy to be here, Howard, and we're going to pretend like we just didn't have a 20 minute conversation. Oh, well, we could have it again. Okay, let's do that then. <laughs> Yeah, we we were just warming up, you know. Yes, we were. No, yeah. No, nobody, had... nobody, nobody wants to see the rock star like doing, you know, toe bend, knee bends, and and and, and, t- and tuning his guitar. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No, now, now we're re- now we're ready to re- ready to go. Yeah. So I'm reaching out to you because you are one of my teachers um, in mm-hmm. terms of how you get people to change behaviors. So why don't you start just by introducing yourself and what you do, what you've done, and uh, okay. for context. Well. Um, I am a certified nutritionist, and now, Howard, you don't know this about me, but I'm now a certified running coach, so I'm sort of to take, starting to take on that whole thing and, and, and really, yeah, incorporate it all into one thing. I'm, st- I'm, I'm studying to become a certified running coach. I did. I did it. Once we went into quarantine, I was I was doing sort of at night and doing what I could. And then all of a sudden, since I was sheltering in place, I was just devoting hours a day, and I, and I got it done in like two months. And huh. uh took the exam, got a 97%, by the way. I hate to toot my own horn, but... Good Lord, ninety-seven percent. Uh, and uh, oh, is, is and, that is that considered good? Where you come from? Um, I think in California that's like a B minus. Oh, nice. uh, and so yeah, um, so I feel good about Congra- that. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you, and I am in, exploring insurance options at this at the moment. I'm not, I haven't launched the the business of its side yet, but I'm getting kind of set up to do that. Anyway, so that's that, and I've written a couple books. Um, I have a a 12 week online program called smallsteppers.com where I teach people my approach to habit change and, um, and behavior and all those kinds of things that you and I are in highly invested in. And I direct, um, an ultra marathon called the Mendocino coast 50 K, which mm-hmm. is, uh, missed its year this year, unfortunately, because of the coronavirus. Yeah. But I think my, we... my buddy Karen did it last year. That's right. Yeah. She and, was, uh, she was yeah. Yeah, crowing and complaining at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's a great race, but it's a, it's not it, it's not the hardest race, but it's medium, I would say. Um, and I work at the Stanford Inn. I run the wellness um, the wellness programs director at the Stanford Inn and Resort in Mendocino, and so that kind of wraps everything up. Okay, so uh, here's what I'm curious about a little bit. So when people come to you, they come to Small Steppers to to a certain extent, they're pre-selected, they're a little bit motivated, but you also have people who come to the Stanford Inn who are just looking for a good time for a weekend, for a week getaway, and they may not. They may be there for recreation and tourism and hospitality as opposed to the Sid way of looking at the world. So you kind of have this, I think, this range of readiness, yeah. awareness, motivation. Um, yeah, for pretty- sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So obviously, small steppers, if somebody signs up, they pay for it. They're you know, kind of doing that whole thing. Yeah, but the resort is really, for first and foremost, it is a resort. People, it's, it's 100% plant-based, so people have... They come sometimes with preconceived ideas about what it's going to be, you know, like, am I going to be in a yurt? You know, that kind of thing. But it's got a, a full bar and, and a pool and, you know, it's like a resort. And so 
oftentimes guests will say, well, we're here and they get a sheet that has all the things we offer and there's a wellness center and they might, oh, that, let me take a cooking class. That sounds fun. Or let me take a nutrition and healthy living class. And so they'll do that oftentimes. And one of my favorite things is when I teach a class and a couple comes in, um, and, uh, you know, if it's a man and a woman that oftentimes, not often, but I would say 40% of the time, I clearly understand that one of them does not want to be there. And one of them totally wants to be there. And uh -huh. for some reason, hundred percent of the time so far, the woman wants to be there and she sort of dragged her. I've had a woman where I was teaching her and her husband was there. He was in, the, he was in the room though. He didn't want to come five minutes into the class. She goes, can you hold on a second? I'm going to go grab my husband because they believe they're going to be preached to some people. They're at a plant-based resort, so they think I'm gonna, they're going to come in the room and I'm going to just be in their face in attack mode. And her husband's like, I got, I don't want no business of that. Within five minutes, she knows this is going to be a super fun, laughing kind of humorous thing. She goes and grabs, and we have a great time. If there's somebody resistant, I focus almost my entire class on that person. Um, in in more of a, like a joking kind of break, and in nine times out of ten, I mean, I've maybe had one negative experience in. 10 years of doing this where it's fun. And, and, and that's kind of the background of everything I do is if this is not about joy and happiness and making your life better and having fun with it, don't do it because you're going to burn out and not do it anymore. And so it, that is sort of the background of my, I'm very tra transparent about the fact that I perform. I want to be a performer in the way that I translate, uh, you know, communicate my approach. So, um, yeah, so it depends on kind of where I'm working with small steppers is like you said, people come. And so that's a very different, uh, vibe. And then the classes is more light. It's an intro and it's, it, it, you know, wraps around to, to definitely to my approach. Mm -hmm. So the, that idea of making it fun and joyful, what, I mean, I, so I assume that, you know, cause I know you a little bit and you're kind of a fun guy and kind of, you are a fun guy. I'll, Thanks. I'll, I'll give you 97. Yeah, not not kind of. 97% fun. fun. Yeah, 97% fun. <laughs> and, and yet people come to us because they're scared, they're miserable, they're self-loathing. Um, uh -huh. You know, how do you bring the fun in those circumstances? And how important is it? Um, I think it's very important. Um, I think that that when people come to me anyway, they one of the one of the my God, that's the biggest jar of water, literally the biggest jar of water I've ever seen. That was bigger than your you head. You know, it's funny that's, you should say this that's, because that's impressive. I was at Costco the other day. This is a half gallon. I, I saw a gallon thing that I almost you bought. Did, you should have got it because it would have made me just absolutely. That was that Damn. was phenomenal. That covered your whole head. Damn. That water intake just covered your head. Um, so when people come to me, they they often one of the unforeseen side effects of small steppers, if you want to call it my result, I'll put it that way, is that people go, I'm not beating myself up as much. So a lot of the, the reason why people come to small steppers anyway is because they're having that internal sort of, you're fat, you're lazy, you're ugly, you can't do this, you have no discipline, you're, you know, you're a binger, you're a, you know, you have no control. Um, so one of the things that I do is immediately empathize because I have never met somebody who doesn't have those kinds of things going on, including me. So I'm very clear to, number one, let them understand that I'm in the same game. Two, that I work my ass off. I would say over 50% of my approach is me doing it myself. Like the work, in other words, 50% of my work that I do is making sure that I'm doing the thing that I talk about. To me, that is first and foremost is living that example because they get to see that I'm struggling with the same stuff. So I'll often talk about the actual struggles I'm having with the things that I want to do. Um, I talk about it even in the podcast. I'm very clear about that because 
we're in this together. This is a very weird world that we're living in as human beings. We're a wild animal living in an unnatural world. My first book is called Approaching the Natural, which was to simply make that aware, that awareness come through and then make moves to bring in a little bit more of what's natural in the context of this world. So the struggles are there. And I don't want somebody to come in and think, I'm the only one having these kinds of things. We're all having it. And the cool thing about Small Steppers is that there's live Q&As every week where people get to see other people's questions. And it's so clear. I don't care what economic you are, what color your skin is, what religion. You're, you're dealing with all this kind of battling out and trying to live the best life you can. So part of it is just them understanding those struggles. So and can, then bring, can, go yeah, ahead. Can I, I want to jump in on that because I've, I've seen coaches do this very poorly where they're empathizing and they're self-revealing and it gives permission to the person that they're talking to, to, oh, I can have cookies too. Cause Sid had, you know, Sid told me about the cookies and I've, I understand the value of self of transparency, of vulnerability, of self-revelation. Do you think about, is there a line or a technique to make sure that you're not just, oh yeah, I binged too last week because of all the stress and, and enabling? Yeah. Oh no. Good, and good question. But the fact is they can have the cookies. And so part of the thing is, is that this is a, what I want to remove when everybody walks in my virtual door is the word should, because the thing about it is I should, I should eat, I should eat better. I should do you. I get this all the time. And to me, remove the should you either want to, or you don't. I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to hide the fact that I'm hundred percent plant-based. And I often, when I give talks, make this point, I can go to McDonald's right now. I can go to McDonald's. And a lot of times people do this kind of like, oh, I can't have that. I'm vegan. Yes, you can. You, it's a choice that you make every day that you choose to do this other thing. And because it, why do you do it? Because it makes you feel better. It makes you happier, whatever those things are. The fact of the matter is you can have the cookies. I'm not giving license. I'm saying, and what I always say when I do the small steps is I don't sell easy, but I sell easier. I'm saying, get clear on what you want and who you are already deep down. Like I've worked with people who binge their whole lives, 30 years of binging. And then when they do that thing we talked about before, the first task, which is a, an exercise they do where they write down their ideal life as if it were happening now, never has any of those people said, I'm a binger in their ideal thing. They say, I have a healthy relationship with food. I don't, I'm not militant about it. I eat, I you know, have a little junk food now and then I don't really care. Mostly I eat really healthy. That's what they write because that's their ideal. So yes, it gives license to have some something once in a while, but it gets them very clear on who they are. So I'm not... I'm never going to be the enabler like you're fine. You're the way you should know I want them to be clear so they know exactly where they're going Which is to be more of who they already are and I am in that and I'm sharing with them the same struggle And how I've in many ways frankly been winning Because I've been doing this a long time and I'm healthy and you know 51 and a runner and all these kinds of things But not to say that I just walked into this and was like this is so easy It's like no, this is the day-to-day -day fight that is totally worth it for everybody to you know who wants to get into it mm -hmm. Gotcha um, So what do you do? Sorry, I know you're we're still in the ellipsis of the like a two-part answer, but I, I'm, I'm yeah. curious about um, Someone writes down. This is my ideal life. What if the what if their ideal life is unattainable? <laughs> Oh, most, uh, most of the time it is. And so, so the thing is, I, what I talk about is I say, make your goals obsolete. And what I mean by that is if, let's say in your, in your ideal life, you go, I'm a, I'm a, um, you know, a, a sub seven hour, you know, 50 miler, which would be impossible. But let's say they just wrote that. And I get this question, like, what if I can't attain it? I go, but that's not really the thing. Because when you write down in your 
first task, I'm at a healthy weight. You may never get to a healthy weight, but at least you know that that's a value to you. If you write down, I have a healthy relationship with food, maybe you're going to struggle with food because of your background and who knows all those things that we, the baggers that we bring to, to, to our lives and have in our lives. But it's a beginning of a process where then you can start to add in things in your life that are more in line with that value. So in other words, if you wrote, I'm a sub two hour marathoner, but you're 60, the chances of that are probably slim especially if you're not exercising at all, which can happen when you write that ideal task. In your reality, you may not be exercising. But you can then say, well, that's a value to me. That athleticism is a value. So now I'm going to get up off my couch and I'm going to walk two minutes around my my living room. And I've not a joke started people off with two minutes around their living room because they have zero exercise in their lives and because they're obese. So I go, let's get it. Can you do two minutes? One minute. 30 seconds. And they begin that process day to day and every move they make gets them closer to that thing that they may never achieve, but it doesn't really matter. That outcome is, becomes obsolete because they see that the value of living healthy and happy is in the day to day and not in the final uh, sub two hour marathon. And so that's just a, how the process evolves. That's why my program is three months, by the way, because it sort of all unfolds and unwraps over that time. And then they finally realize, oh, this isn't really about the goal. This is about what I do, the little stuff. I just did an interview with a guy and he goes, I tell people it's a little victories. And I was like, I'm totally sealing that. Um, and it, I really like it. It's like the little victories, that's what adds up to happiness day to day. Mm. I, and what I, what I love about that is, especially during this time of pandemic and incredible stress, and we're seeing um, you know, CDC reports now of, of the elevations of depression and anxiety that we're living that a lot of us are living in an uncertain future, right? Like I yeah. get up every day and I'm like, what's next month going to be like? Can I pay the rent? Uh, yeah. Which is essentially what we're doing when we're living into our goals, right? We're saying, look, so yeah. I, I want this seven, the sub 750 mile or I want to weigh 175 pounds by June um, and what you're saying is, OK, so that's a direction. Yes. But let's but the way to reduce stress and increase sanity is to focus on the here and now. Yes, to focus on what you're going to do today, number one. And number two, it's to really be aware of where and this is why I, I'm a philosopher, first and foremost, with what I do is because I do not believe that happiness is getting that. I mean, look, I did a ultramarathon you have too. it's great you finish an ultramarathon it's amazing it feels great that wears off i mean you you know next week you go to work yeah and the feeling within, wore with, off before the soreness yeah yeah the feeling's gone and, and it's like those goals are amazing but that's not really where health and happiness lies it's not you can battle i i was i when i was doing my 50 miler there a guy uh took over he you know passed me nice guy we chatted for a while he passed me and finished probably 30 minutes before i did super o overweight I mean, super overweight. I was in way better fit shape physical than this guy. And he just burned right by me. And it's, it's amazing. But I would say in general, I was a healthier, I'm guessing, but I'm a healthier guy than that guy. Um, I think that, that health and happiness lies in the day-to-day. -day. It's in the small stuff. It's in the stuff that you do day-to-day. -day. So if you can sort of devalue, work for those goals, it's amazing. But to establish sort of raising your bar of what you do day-to-day, -day, I think that's where it's at. And and um, and I, time and time again, I, I just see that every time. Mm -hmm. So this idea of the, the, the small steps, like what, what is that curing that an approach without it is going to suffer from? Uh, it's curing overwhelm and underwhelm. So 
my particular approach to small steps is coaching people how to figure out what they can do day to day. And I mean like today that is not going to overwhelm them or underwhelm them at any given time. So it's a, it's a sort of an ebb and flow. So they'll say, I want to start eating better and I'll go, okay, when we go to have a back and forth thing, it's like, okay, what can you do starting today? That's not going to make you dread, dread it. Well, I can start with, uh, I'll eat some fruit in the morning. I'll start doing fruit in the morning. Okay, good. And that may be their first step for somebody else who's already generally kind of okay. Maybe that's a, their first small step is bigger. So I, one thing I always want to make sure people understand is the size of somebody's small steps is how they perceive that step, not some objective. Everybody does two minutes a day. It's, it's, they get engaged in their own stress. So they are engaged by saying a few days later, this is like nothing. Uh, okay. Then kick that step up immediately. Or they go, I'm, I'm dreading this. I, I hated doing this. I didn't do it for three days. Okay. Bring the step back down. So the training of this is not to say, Sid, what do I do with my next step? It's like, no, I know what to do because I've been spending time checking in with myself to say, you know what? I noticed that I was started with 30 minutes of meditation, seemed like I could do that because I don't have kids and I don't have a commute. So no problem, but I haven't meditated in five days. Okay. That's obviously that was too big of a step. Let me come back down to five minutes. Okay. That's nothing. I can do five minutes and they do five minutes because it's easy. And then that becomes easier. And then they go up to 10 minutes and they kind of creep it up and then they, it's sort of a give and take. And that's, that's their, I hate the word empowerment because it's sort of overused, but that's why I do that because they take the reins in, in their own lives. They don't follow Sid's training plan. Do this on Thursday. Well, all of a sudden they stop working with me. Then they're left hanging because they have no idea what to do. And I, I don't, I don't find that to be a, a model of success. Mm -hmm. So it seems like inherent in the process is that they're going to make mistakes in their predictions, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I talk a lot about it, success and failure. Um, to me, as they progress through the program, they get very good at just starting with a, a first step. No matter, they'll just kind of throw spaghetti at the wall. What? Yeah, fine. I'll start with 10 minutes. Fine. Because they know that if it's too much, they're going to find out. If it's too little, they're going to find out. And failure gets take, completely taken out of the process because they, they're taking the long view of this. They understand that they don't want to lose weight after 21 days. They want to be at a healthy weight forever. This is not a diet where, like you know, because you you do this and as well, I can weight loss is the easiest thing. If somebody just lived with me and they ate exactly what I gave them, they would be, they would lose weight very rapidly and be healthy, you know, pretty fast. And then if I set them loose, their chances of them going back to their old behaviors are almost a hundred percent. That's why diets mostly fail because it's, you haven't learned the mental tools of how to establish long-term behavior change. So because people have a long view with this, they get really adept at saying, I'll start with five, 10 squats a day, I, whatever. I don't care. Give a crap. In five days, I go 10 squats is nothing. I'm going to go up to 30 squats a day or they go, oops, 10 squats was too much. We'll go down to one squat per day. And I'm not a joke. I'm not joking there because the behavior of exercise per day gets established if they can stick with it long enough. And I mean like months, then they start creeping that behavior up because they are now not somebody who is doing an exercise plan. They are now somebody who exercises. It's an identity issue. I am somebody who exercises day to day. Somebody who eats a stock of celery every day and that's all they do that's healthy. Everything else is junk food. Factually, they eat healthy food every day. Is it enough to have them lose weight? Nope, not yet. But in their minds, they're like, yeah, I eat healthy food. I eat healthy food. And it's one less thing they're beating themselves up about then they grow that step into something that is substantial and maybe over time actually does affect their blood pressure or whatever they're going for. Um, but it's establishing those habits first and foremost. 
So for me, all of my what I'll, what we'll call bad habits for just, you know, the purpose of this conversation serve the purpose of making me feel better in the moment. Right. They get me high so I don't have to face something deeper. Do you work with people at that level as well? Like, OK, I'm I'm going to let go or I'm going to reduce, you know, my consumption of sugar or fatty foods or McDonald's. And now I'm discovering like I've I've uncorked all the yucky feelings that I used to oh. stuff down. Oh, good Lord. I've had I've had experiences where I'm not a psychologist, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, I, this is what I do in terms of habit change and healthy eating and, you know, fitness and things like that, but I'm not a psychologist, but boy, when you, if you, if somebody launches in and I'll tell you why I do not do this at all anymore, but in the beginning before I launched small steppers and so I was formulating, like even before my first book, um, you know, I did that sort of like, don't do this. And when they would stop doing the thing that would distract them from the issues whole, I mean, I saw some crazy stuff. I saw some you know, where a, a woman I was working with was trying to eat better. She was living, living at home still with her, with her, with her mom. And her mom was like, here, do you want to try this? Do you want to try this? Do you want to try one? And she would like put junk food out on the table on purpose because she was, the mom was so threatened by what the daughter was doing, even though the daughter didn't even, you know, she wasn't telling her mom to do it. And then they started getting in these crazy fights. And I realized like, in, in a minute, I was like, look, for me to continue my work, you have to see a psychologist because there is heavy internal stuff going in in your family that I am not equipped to deal with because that's not my, that's my, not my purview. But clearly the food was a distraction from those deeper issues. And I said, for me to continue, like you have to have support in that fashion. Just like if somebody came to me with cancer or something, I would go, go I'm not a doctor, so go, go see a doctor like I'm a nutritionist. I can do the thing that I do. I'm very clear about where my lines stop mm -hmm. uh, and start. With that said, I am now squarely in the I do not tell anybody to not do stuff. And here's why. Because if you focus, I, I always say health and happiness don't like a vacuum. If you say, well, I, don't, I eat Snicker bars. And it's just, I just can't, God, I hate Snicker so I'm going to stop eating Snicker bars. If you, they're not equipped with what they're going to do instead, they're going to lose. They're going to go back to the Snicker bars. Because like you said, oftentimes it's the the food that we're eating or the bad behavior, so-called bad behaviors are because it's a mask of something we don't want to deal with. If we don't deal with the other stuff so that we don't need the sticker bar, Snicker bar as much. So where I come in is to say, I would literally say this to you, Howard, if you came to me and said, look, I eat like 10 Snicker bars a day. What do I do? I go for now, let's keep eating this 10 Snicker bars. And I'm not kidding. I go, let's, let's keep eating this 10 Snicker bars. Just eat that because they want me to tell them not to. Then they focus their whole brain on what they're not doing. I'm not eating Snicker bars. I'm not eating Snicker But I'm going, well, what, but what are you doing? So we keep eating the Snicker bars. Then we go over here and we go, okay, let's small step into a little journaling. Let's small step into a little deep breathing. Let's small step into even a little healthy eating. Keep eating the Snicker bars. But maybe bring in some vegetables, have a side salad with whatever you have. For it. Little kind of inroads. And all of a sudden, I call it the mental real estate kind of shifts. Like all of a sudden, you're not thinking about what not to do. You're thinking about all the good things that you're doing. You're, you're learning a tr what true self-care is about. It's not, it's not discipline and kicking your own ass all the time. No pain, no gain. It's actually really about care and joy. Like I said, joy and happiness to start this thing out. Then all of a sudden the shift occurs. And I've seen this time and time again, maybe not with everybody, but I've seen it a lot where they just go. I had a woman once who was so self-proclaimed addicted to candy. She goes, people bring candy into the office and I can't stop myself. I have no control. I said, okay, we'll keep eating that candy. What? I go keep eating it for now. When it comes in, literally binge it. I don't care. 
So then I start moving her brain into other areas and she starts small stepping into little light walks and deep breathing and, and journaling. Three weeks. She goes, yeah, the candy came in and I took a piece and I realized I didn't really want it and mm. I walked away. I go, gosh, it sounds like you're not really a binger and you have actually do have control. She goes, yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> so if the messaging can change, then, you know, look, she can power through not eating the candy for three weeks, but that's sort of a diet. It's like just power through it, willpower, and then that drains. And then guess what? You're back to feeling like you failed and you never were set up for success in the first place. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I think there's, well, there's a lot of similarities in our approach, but I also, I think my... I have very, I have much less clear boundaries about moving into not therapy for someone who's like, you know, clinically, like I'm worried about them, but I feel uh -huh. like, I feel like everybody has stuff that we're stuffing down with, yes. with addictive behaviors. And so if I yes. said, I can't work with you unless you like, I wouldn't have any clients if I'm, if I'm unwilling to go there. And what I find is, um, while I, I certainly would never tell anyone to stop eating the Snicker bars. Right. Like, but mm -hmm. I would ask them, like, what do you want your relationship to the Snicker bars to be? And they might say, I have 10 a day and they want, you know, and they want to go down to zero. Say, well, how, you know, how confident are you that you can do mm -hmm. that? Really, really, uh -huh. really, really. Yeah, yeah. Like, not. <laughs> so, and, but I would, I still would want them. And this is really, it's, it's interesting because I'm listening to your approach and I'm thinking, like, I kind of want to try this. But what I would do uh -huh. is have them take, pick one time when they're going to, hold off on the Snickers bar to see what comes up to, as, mm -hmm. as, as an experiment to see what is what are the thoughts, what are the emotions, what are the physical sensations that they are stuffing down? It's almost like the, the journaling, but I want, you know, I want them to have information about their relationship totally. to the Snickers bar. But I can I can see I'm really curious about your approach about not even trying to get them like to giving them total permission to pursue this bad behavior while messing with their context. Yeah, I, I would say that I am totally interested in them learning that information, too. I just don't do it as directly. Mm -hmm. So I get to that information every time it they get to that information more importantly every time because they're getting into journaling because they're sort of deep you know one deep breath every hour is a, is a common small step you know and that kind of increased awareness they will then all of a sudden realize what is the context with me in the snicker bar like why why am i going to the snicker bar oh it's because i had a shitty day at work or whatever you know and so they they understand quickly because they're bringing in these other things. So, so your and my goal is exactly the same. I just don't tackle it maybe as directly. I don't say at 1030, don't do the snicker bar and see what comes up. I go, I, cause I, and this, again, you, you're, it just depends on the person. Typically for me, I want to see, they want sort of the weight to come off. They feel crappy about the snicker bars. They, they feel crappy about their lack of so-called lack of self-control. I want them to sort of like, okay, leave that for now. We're going to get to it. I mean, we're going to get to it. That's why I was going to get to it. We're just not there yet. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, before I launched Small Steppers, I was working with private, you know, client one-to-one. -one. They would come to me nine times out of 10 for food because I'm a nutritionist. And they, and oftentimes, that would be the last thing I'd talk about. Can we talk about food diet? Well, I'm not there yet. We'll get there. We'll get to the diet. We'll get to the diet. Because mm -hmm. the food, the food is not, if I just go here, eat these things, that's a diet. But they're not eating junk food because they don't know better. 
they're eating junk food, like you said, because of why we all do this, because it's a distraction from a bad day at work or a relationship issue or all those kinds of things. Now, the time that I told that person, I need you to be in a psychologist is because it was so heavy that clearly it was out of bounds for me. I'm not going to negotiate the relationship between her and her mother. I'm not trained for it. But for most people, it's more subtle. It's more like, they're just not doing as much as they want to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm very comfortable in that arena. It's just that there's a line where I go, oh, the reason why you're reading Snickers is because you have an abusive marriage. That ain't my back. You know, like good for you to have that knowledge. Now get help mm-hmm. so that you can continue your, your quest to live better. But that's going to be about you dealing with your marriage. Um, so I'm very – I just have a kind of an internal, you know, governor to be like, oh, that's it. Okay, I'm not there yet. Uh, I'm not there at all. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. But yeah, I'm, I want their, them to have that information immediately, you know, as soon as possible. I just don't go it as as it as directly. I kind of take the weight off their shoulders, get them doing things, seeing what accomplishing things day to day feels like. What is it like to exercise every day? And they may be only doing a minute around the living room. But what's that feel like? Every mm-hmm. minute that I exercise, I don't have to think about what it was stressing me out so much because I'm doing something about it. I don't want them to get very addicted to that feeling of accomplishment day to day. Got it. Got it. And I, and I love this this difference and distinction between us because, you know, if, if everyone I talked to did the same thing I did, then there would no be no need for any of you. So that's right. <laughs> it, would, it would just be what Howie thinks podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 And I um, and I, I, you know, as I'm thinking about people that I've worked with, there are people who would have benefited from your approach mm-hmm. and and people who. I think would benefit more from mine. And so for for all the coaches who are out there listening, know that, you know, if you're studying with me, like I teach a coach training, that you don't have to be like me. Yeah, that's right. Right. I mean, people often ask me, you know, like, well, how'd you start? And what what do I do? I go, you got to, one thing I always tell people is start living to start making moves in your own life to be healthier and happier. Because what's going to happen is, you're going to figure out a, an approach, number one. And number two, you're going to know the struggles that come with that approach. So that's why I'm, like I said, I'm always keen to live my own approach because I get to see as a human being in the world um, what comes up about this stuff. Like really what the, I get to ask the question to myself of, you know, I, I documented this in my second book, Raising Healthy Parents, which is, you know, if I walk in the door irritable pissed with my stupid phone in my hand and I can't be with my kids and my wife because I got to check my email incessantly. Um, I get to see what I did to do to take care of that, um, to, to, to be more of who I actually am. Cause I don't think I'm that guy and I get to see what struggles come with that. And then I get to see how I won that round. Um, and that how I don't win it hundred percent of the time also, you know, so I win, I get to win it most of the time and why I do those things. And so it's, it's the intricacies of those things that help shape a health coach so that there's an authenticity there. Um, and not a preachy, like just do this and this, and I'm overweight, but you should do this instead. And it's like, well, no, are you living it or are you not? Cause I, I have, I guess I'm 51 and I, and, and it could just be my age, but I have zero tolerance now to listen to a single word from somebody who's not doing it better than I'm doing it. Mm. 
So <laughs> I, I will always listen to somebody who's a better runner than I am, who's in better shape than I am. I go, give it to me. What do you, who's, who, who, who I at least perceive to be handling stress better or happier. I go, let me hear what you have to say. But I have zero tolerance for somebody who goes, you, there's what you should do. And they're, and they're not living it. I go, I'm moving on. I got no time for you. I'm oh, 51, yeah. you know? And so to me, living the example and being first and foremost as a health coach, I think goes the longest way uh, of, t- and people may not perceive me as in better shape than they are, then they shouldn't come to me. They should go to somebody who they go, I think that guy or girl's doing this better than I'm doing it. What do they have to say? Let me see how they're doing it. And I think mm-hmm. that's a very reasonable approach to fit finding someone to work with. Right. And, and I'll say that a lot of people want to be coaches who themselves are not fit or not healthy or not at their ideal weight, have issues. Right. And I don't want them to to not go on the journey, right? Because as, you, right. as you're talking about the goal, like it's not like there's this goal of like, I need, you know, the hourglass figure or I need the sub three marathon. It's are you in the fight? Are you in the arena? I, I agree with you. What I'm, except I'm going to say this, because when I say make the goal obsolete, these are for people that are, and yes, I believe that too, but these are for people who are trying to live healthier and happier, not trying, not coaching it. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a di- I think there's a line a distinction between somebody who's just I'm a human being I'm a lawyer I just want to be healthy and happy I got kids and a wife I want I want to you know whatever uh, or I've got a husband and kids <laughs> whatever and, and I want to be healthy and happy day to day and so yes that's the, to make the goal obsolete somewhat obsolete because it is in the day to day et cetera et cetera I think coaches have a higher responsibility because I think that we are coming to people and saying here's what we recommend and if we can't pull that off ourselves. I don't think we have a business doing that. I think that we have to say, I, I've been able to do this. Maybe I'm retired now, but in day I was a good ultra runner, let's say somebody might say, or I've, you know, whatever. And, and in general, be in a place where they can communicate their own struggles and their own um, journey with this so that they can, I think that comes across in a, in a much in a much more effective way. So I think there's a line between somebody who's just trying to do this and somebody who is actually trying to coach it. I think there's a higher responsibility for coaches. Okay. I would, I would agree. And I would still say that, you know, the 170 pound woman who wants to coach 300 pound women to, uh, right. She should not have to wait until she's like a size three. Totally. And that's why I said it's the, it's I, in a way, this is advice for somebody who's looking for a coach. It's what do you perceive this person as, as doing better than you're doing? That's it. Because they don't have to be at a size three or some objective weight, but it's like, well, no, that's, so I'm a dad. I got three kids. I'm, I'm, you know, I work full time. My wife works full time. So there's a, 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 a context of my life that is relatable to a, a some subsection of of our culture, they can look at me because I'm transparent. They know what I do, and they go, "Okay, he's got three kids. He works full time. His wife for, works full time. He takes his kids to soccer. I'm not living in a mansion. I don't, you know, I don't fly first class. I don't have a, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't have, you know, a ton of time. I'm not a full time podcaster. Like I'm doing these things. I'm writing a book, like on my own time because I work full time when I'm not in quarantine. That is, um, at a resort. So there's a certain amount of relatability that clients can look at me and say. He's doing similar things that I'm doing, commuting, raising a family. And so, and he seems to be doing it okay. That's pretty cool. Let me check out what he, what he has to say. So it is relatable to what your context is. And so if you're 300 pounds and you're looking at somebody who's 200 pounds, who's doing it like amazing, do it. That person doesn't have to be at a, at a so-called BMI. Who gives a crap about that? But if you can relate to that person and say, how are they doing as well as they're doing? 
then I think that's a worthwhile relationship to enter into. Beautiful, beautiful. And I think the other, you know, you talked about sort of having credibility and knowing about other people's struggles. For me, the other, the, the other big thing that coaches need to work on in themselves is to know their own emotional triggers, like all the things that, that are uh, getting them to do bad behaviors. Because if you don't, if you're not aware of them, then your clients are just going to trigger you every day and, and you're going to be a mess with them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, really, Howard, what this comes down to, and I'll, I'll call you Howie because you said what Howie thinks. I'll call you Howie from now on. Um, yeah, yeah so is, is, is really self-awareness. I mean, what I'm building with small steppers is self-awareness. It is the background to from which we then jump into the particulars of food or diet or, or, or um, fitness or even journaling or whatever. First and foremost is this idea of self-awareness. It is knowing ourselves better because then we're in touch with the things that we actually value and, and, and kind of, and also our stress and what triggers us, all these things that are aware. If I can build that level in, then somebody can then eventually come to that snicker bar and say, ah, what, did, what happened today that is making me do this right now? Um, I, one of my favorite clients, uh, and she gave me permission to tell the story whenever I wanted, um, you know, came to me for the the usual overweight and she actually had cancer at the time that she came to me and I'm um, still battling it out, but doing pretty darn well because it's been years. Um, and in our discussions in her first task, she wrote, I'm a novelist. And so I, she also wrote things about food and about, she was a fencing, she likes fencing and that, that was her thing and all these kinds of things. But I focus on the novel. I said, what do you mean you're a novelist? Well, I was working on a novel. I go, you're working on it now? No. When's the last time you wrote? Six months ago, she says. I go, okay, well, you came to me for food. We'll talk about food later. Why don't we small step into working on that novel again? And so we began a process where she started, I think, with five minutes a day in the morning, five minutes on a novel, which would, you know, everyone goes, that doesn't do anything. And I'm like, just wait. So five minutes a day, she starts writing her novel. Again, within weeks, and it continued because I, I hear from her semi-regularly. Um, she wrote 75 pages of it last year. So, so she began this process where it was the, and I luckily kind of lucked into this, like, Oh, this is the thing. So within weeks, she said, you know, I walked into my house at the end of the day, she had a job that she didn't really particularly like, but she walked into the house in the, the day, goes into the kitchen where she always snacks because she doesn't like her job. It's a crappy day. She comes home, snacks, boom. She goes, these are her words. I walked into my kitchen to snack and I didn't, I realized I had other things on my mind. It was the novel. That was the thing. Was the novel. So the five minutes of the novel may not may not produce a lot of pages. I could not care less because what happens is she does the five minutes. Then during the day, guess what she's thinking about when she has time? The novel. She's excited about it. She's happier in her life about it. That's the thing, and that shapes the other the other things. But her self awareness of like I walked into the kitchen. And she's listening to like, what am I really thinking about? Oh, I don't really need the snacking. I'm going to go think about the novel again. It's mm -hmm. subtle and it changes over time. And it's not as exciting as a diet where you lose 50 pounds in 21 days and everyone goes, oh my God, you look amazing. It's so much more profound than that because it's setting the stage for long-term shifting and, and long-term self-awareness. So yeah, it's, uh, it's all, to me, it's all about that. It's a be beautiful story. I, I hope to read the novel someday. <laughs> Me too. I mean, it is so cool. And then it's like the next level of like, it, she also did had a great poetry step because she, she, she fashioned herself as a poet. So she got this step where she would like, she would write three lines of poetry per day. And most of it would be crap. And I love that because she's like, I don't really, it wasn't 
has to be good. You know, the, the, I think it was, um, Voltaire who said, don't let perfection be the, be the enemy of the good. Mm. Like she got really comfortable with like, it is the process. And if, if every 10 poems I write, I like it, that's a huge win. Right. But how mm. quickly six months goes by and we write nothing. And then we feel like I should be writing. Well, she's writing every day and most of it's crap and she's totally comfortable with mm. something being bad. Right. And then she sent me, she actually sent me a quote one time. She goes, a first draft doesn't need to be anything. She, it was, the quote was like, a first draft is perfect because it doesn't need to be anything other than a first draft. Hmm. But most people won't start a book or of something they want to do because they want it perfect out of the shoot. Right. And well, it's then, like, you know, okay. That, that Ira Glass quote, you know, the one I'm talking about? No. I mean, oh, Ira Glass, but what, what's the quote? It's, uh, it's a long thing, so I'm not going to get it. But, but basically, like the problem with artists is that our discernment, our taste is so much greater than our ability to produce to that level that most of us <laughs> never start because yeah. we can't yeah. we can't write, you know, yeah. Harry Potter or Shakespeare or uh, Aerosmith. And so we're, we're not we can't stand the level at which we have to start. Yes, and that is absolutely true. And what happens is, is that I mean, I I'm a musician. I've done you know a bunch of records. I think my man banded five full records and EPs, and I had some solo albums before then. When I listen to my first album ever that I did, it's it's cringeworthy. I mean, at the time I did it, I thought it was great. I was so happy with it. Now I listen to it, I'm like, good lord. I put songs at the end of my podcast. I don't I don't think I've ever maybe one of the songs off that first album I ever did, and but I had to do that to get to the second album, which is better. And still, in my mind, the way I look at that, I can listen to some of the stuff on that album, and then progression through that. If you don't do the first thing, you can't get to the second thing. So that is why the discussion of failure and success really comes up. It's like, is it a failure to do a bad first draft or even a horrible book? Or is it an absolute success because you wrote something and now you can move on to the next thing with more experience in your, I call it the arsenal of experience. You have now this other thing that you did and you can now do this and now you've learned and now you can move on. And so it absolutely is about that. Like we want to come out with a brilliant thing right away. We can't get, people understand how much work goes into, you know, you look at somebody who's written a great screenplay. They've probably written 50 screenplays. Most of them didn't even get looked at, but they had to go through that before they got to the second one and so on and so forth. Right. And, and I think, you know, there's it's what it takes eventually is courage because we live in such a judgmental society where the, you know, the, oh, yeah. the currency of success and failure is is right in front of our eyes and people get canceled and and vilified. And, you know, and we don't even want to put ourselves out in front of ourselves. Like, what if I don't walk around the living room for two minutes? Like, it's almost, you know, we have to make it so small that the the performance anxiety goes away that's that's 100 percent right because if you if you think that meditation has to be 45 minutes on a pillow you're setting yourself up for success it may be but it doesn't have to be and so if you can get comfortable with the action like to me it's all about the acting of it doing the thing that sets the stage for success long term is are you doing that thing i mean i li i used to live in los angeles 20 years coffee houses are full or they were before the quarantine full of, of so-called screenwriters who never produce a screenplay. You mm -hmm. know, to me, it's like it, it's in the doing that makes you who you are in the doing, not what you say, not faking it till you make it, but actually am I creating stuff day to day? Am I creating stuff um, and being okay with that? But it does take a certain amount of courage. Um, I would say that it takes a self awareness of what you want 
you know, not what you should be doing, but what you want to be doing. That's sort of the platform from which you go, okay, well, game on. Now can I do it so small that I almost can't help not do it? Okay, that begins the ball rolling. You know, and as a, as a coach, I'm trying to find that little point where they go, okay, this gets the ball rolling. And then I don't have to hear myself get pissed at myself for not doing it. Beautiful. Well, so for folks who want to uh, find more of you, I know you said you have a, your new podcast, you have the smallsteppers.com. Give us mm -hmm. the, give us the, the roadmap, the breadcrumbs to find Sid Garza Hillman online. Well, I quit all social media in December 2018. So the best place to find me is SidGarzaHillman.com. And that's just sort of a portal. I do YouTube videos and I do my, my both my old podcast, Approaching the Natural, and my new one, What Sid Thinks, you can listen to on that site or, or anywhere you get podcasts. They're still out uh, everywhere, obviously. Um, but you can get links to my books on you know whatever. And uh, so SidGarzaHillman.com and SmallSteppers.com. So SmallSteppers used to be a thing where you could join any time and your day one would be that day that you join. Now I've shifted it over the last two years to a group start. So I've just finished a, a session last month and I'm not sure when the next session will start. So best thing is to either join the mailing list at Small Steppers or the mailing list at my website and then I'll give you news on when I'm launching the next group. Okay. I can't let you go without asking you a little bit about quitting social media because, you know, I don't enjoy most social media but it feels That's why like I quit it. it feels like it's an <laughs> like how what how do you go around begging people to pay attention to you? Um, <laughs> I I don't and um and the fact is I took a hit. You know my old podcast had you know five to ten thousand listen, listens you know per episode. Now I've got less than a thousand. Um, my YouTube videos, you know, they're about what they were. I left YouTube for a short period of time because I was unhappy with their business practices. I'm back thinking that they are doing, a, I think they're doing a better job, but I did turn off all comments on, on my new videos. I just don't even open it up to comments at all. Um, so it's a way to me, it's, it's a platform. It's not an interactive. It's like watch my videos or not. Um, it's, it, it is hard. It's not a joke. Um, and, uh, interviews like this, keep me out there. I'm working on a new book. Um, you know, hopefully that'll kind of thing. Um, there was more negative. It's not all negative social media, but there's more negative than positive to me. And it was just a thing of like, it was a distraction number one, and it didn't feel good. It was a should that I didn't want, not want in my life. And I will say that while I took a hit career wise, um, it was a boon for me, happiness wise, stress wise and productivity wise. I've written now enough music for a whole new album. That's all post social media. I work. I've just finished my fourth draft of my new book. That's all post social media. So it has enabled a productivity for me that is very uh, important to me. And also as a as a practicer of my own small steps approach, I'm not that guy. You know, I'm not that I don't want to look, I don't want to go on a run and think to myself, that's a great view. That'd be great on Instagram. I want to just enjoy the view and see what it is and maybe tell somebody about it later. And that's, that became a, a self-awareness thing for me. It was like, and I literally was, sh sh and I say literally in the actual way, I was, sh I had a shake in my hand when I hit the delete button on Facebook. I, I was actually, it was like a tremble. And I thought this is not a good thing hmm. that I can't delete my account without having a physical reaction to it. In my further research of it, seeing how they understand dripping the likes out and the way that they do things to make it an addictive platform. I don't like, I don't want to, it's just, I don't want any part of it. I don't, I don't, it's not what I do and it's not how, you know, again, it comes back to the example that I said, it's just not my thing. I want to be able to produce the work and if I have less of, a, of an audience for it, then so, so be it. Uh, so, so you're saying it could be, it's more, it's possible it's more like booze than oxygen. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's definitely like, uh, you know, positives for people to keep in touch with people. But I start thinking like, I've gotten emails from people who listen to my podcast. Like I they get emails, they email, they email. I mean, they, they go, Hey, I, I liked your podcast. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like, we can still, I can, people can still communicate with me. You know what I mean? And so I was looking at the Facebook specifically and saying, are these people like, they're not reaching out to me so much. If they really wanted to, to get in touch with me or I to them, I can f- contact them. Everyone has websites and emails and things like that. And I have, and it got to the point where like people who have my email wouldn't email me anymore. They'd Facebook message me. So I had to go to Facebook to find, it's like, just send me an email and maybe it's, I'm just becoming the old guy, but I really appreciate the direct communication of it. And, and I wanted to just, to just promote that and anybody who's game great. And if they're not, then fine too. And that's what that is. I'm in touch with friends that are important to me. And, and I had to sort of make a choice like who's actually in the game of my life and then be in touch with them more and in a, in a higher quality way. Okay, cool. Well, I, I love that you're opening the possibility for folks to question whether this thing that we lean on so much is necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's a, it's the question of our time, you know, especially now with, you know, Twitter putting the fact check bucket button on, you know, certain tweets and, and Facebook saying, we're not the arbiter of, of information. We're just the platform. And yet they have a very direct effect on what they're allowing and not allowing. It's a lie. And I think that I just realized like the animal industry, I don't want to be, I just didn't want a part of it. It's like, that's not, that's a business I do not want to mm. be in a, a part of. And, and I, talked about it in my podcast when I did it, which is we're at almost as much at fault about this as the, I mean, we demand things for free. So we go, I'm not paying for Facebook and Facebook goes, but I got to make money. And YouTube goes, I got to make money. So I'm going to funnel people to more and more raunchy videos because it'll keep you clicking. And we go, YouTube's bad. And I go, wait a second, you're asking for free and they need to make money. So what do you think they're going to do? They're going to, they're going to keep you coming back. Right. So so we need to take responsibility and actually trade value for value. Um, I did a chat room. I have a chat room for small steppers. I pay for it on purpose. I just go, I'm going to find something I'm paying for. It. There's a thousand free chat rooms. I'm like, no, let me pay for something because then they keep the data correct and they keep it private and they make these, you know, these, here's what you get for your money. Mm-hmm. So I'm sort of playing with that idea of like, I don't want stuff for free anymore. And people shouldn't want so much for free. Let's pay for the things that are value so that we can go buy toothpaste and get toothpaste. You know, it's like that should apply to everything that we do. Let me give you some value and I get value back and I have expectations that are attached to that. And I think that's reasonable. I agree. It sounds like a uh, an exercise in self-awareness and self-responsibility, which is just an extension of the work you do. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. You know, like I have Patreon. I don't have a lot, but I have people who kick in some dope on Patreon and I really appreciate it. It's like, you know what, that they don't have to do that. It's yeah. pretty cool. So I do, I sort of pay that forward wherever I can too. Cool. So, what's what's yeah. your Patreon? Uh, Sid Garza Hillman. Just, okay. And that's G-A-R-Z-A or Z-A for the people who live in the yeah, yeah, for the non-Americans. Uh, yeah, G-A-R-Z-A-H-I-L-L-M-A-N. There's a hyphen you know, in my actual name, but anywhere online, like Sid Garza Hillman, there's no hyphen. It's just Sid Garza Hillman, one thing, and that's Patreon too. Cool. All right. So um, folks, check that out too. Yeah, well, thanks. So Sid, thank you so much. It's, it's, uh, I didn't realize you were off social media. So I didn't realize like this is, this is such a special way to get ahead of Sid. 
Yes. Yeah, it is. It's it's it definitely is more isolation in a way, but uh, but more more thoughtful. So I'm I'm and this is like. I love this stuff. Like I love talking to you. Like I love deeper conversations. That's why I love podcasts so much because they're free form and they're long. And so I want more of this. I don't want the, I don't like sound bites. I don't like 140 characters. I like this back at this exchange of ideas. It's the stuff that is like the most exciting to me. Cool. Have you ever thought about teaching coaching? Uh, I have. If Small Steppers ever got to the level that I wanted it to be, a couple of people have approached and said, hey, can, can that, is that something? And I said, you know, if, if Small Steppers like balloons i would love to like actually train coaches to so that i didn't have to do a hundred percent of it um <laughs> i'm just not there yet on it but yeah i've, I've often thought about teaching coaching because i love it and i want more of us okay well maybe we can work out uh you know like my, my my goal for this health coach um well start coach academy is uh to take to train lots of health coaches because i see so much bad coaching oh uh, yeah um, yeah yeah and yeah. especially in people who are I mean, certainly in coaches, but also in like doctors and nutritionists and dietitians who are just taught motivational interviewing. Yes. And that's their only tool. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So like, I think like one, one of my things now is to improve the quality of coaching in the lifestyle medicine space, because the problem with the, the problem that the medical establishment has with lifestyle medicine is like, yeah, of course it works, but nobody does it. Yeah. And so coach yeah. like the lack of good coaching is actually the key hindrance in the spread of lifestyle medicine as a uh, as the primary way to help people be healthy. I think that's I, I would totally agree with that. It's implementation. It's like don't don't put yourself through the stress of a 21 day anything unless it's going to be long term, you know, and, and, I, and so I think that's absolutely true. Oh, well, let's, let's keep talking. Maybe I can get you to uh, to guest teach a little bit. I would love to do that. Absolutely. Love to have you. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. Thanks a lot for your time and for everything. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Always good to see you. So, bye. I hope you found that helpful. So if you'd like to become a health coach, or maybe you already are a health coach and you'd like some additional training and more skills, or perhaps you're a health professional, a doctor, nurse, dietitian, etc., who would like to be able to influence your patients more effectively, again, check it out, wellstartcoach.com. All right, have a great day.